This is Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. I'm your host, Charlene Sayo. For this episode, I have not one, but two very exciting conversations to share with all of you. First off, the feature interview is with Cicely Bell Blaine of Black Lives Matter Vancouver, the latest city to join the global Black Lives Matter movement. I also have a special feature interview with New York's very first all-female mariachi band, Mariachi Flor de Tolawache, who was in Vancouver last month for their very first Canadian appearance at the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver, BC. A few days ago, I launched a Kickstarter campaign where I'm raising money for brand new equipment. If you're not yet following Misrepresent on Twitter, please do so at Just Call Me Char, and also make sure to like the Facebook page for future updates and information on how to support this campaign and keep this podcast going. And in this episode, I have some wonderful music from Mariachi Flor de Tolawache, The Juanitos, and Lache Swing. You may have noticed that I don't have a Woman Hurrying History segment this week, but I'll have a brand new one for all of you next week, so please don't fret. In the place of Woman Hurrying History, I have a special catch-up featurette interview with Mariachi Flor de Tolawache. In fact, for the very first song of the hour, here's the band performing a very quick and very sweet little performance on the streets of downtown Vancouver last month. Feeling it. 
back everyone to misrepresent behind the face of fierce woman i'm very excited to share my feature interview with cicely bell blaine one of the founders of black lives matter vancouver vancouver is the second and latest city to organize a black lives matter chapter in canada born and raised in london england cicely bell blaine is a queer black femme poet artist and community organizer a recent graduate of European Studies and Russian from the University of British Columbia, Cicely shared her thoughts on Black Lives Matter Vancouver's goals and vision, the challenges of organizing within diaspora communities, the shared history of slavery in Canada and United States, and why women are at the forefront of social movements. Thank you for being here in Misrepresent. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited for you to be here. How are you? I'm doing very good, thank you. You guys just came up from your very first event from the Vancouver Art yeah, Gallery. Yeah. How was that? That was a really amazing event. We were so completely overwhelmed by the amount of support that we got. Uh, even just like on the Facebook event page, we had over 2,000, 3,000 people interested in the event. So. Yeah, that was pretty overwhelming and very exciting. And then on the day, I think we had around 500 people show out. So yeah, that was great. Different organizations, different media coming and showing interest. So yeah, we're really, really happy with what happened. What I think was amazing is that it was in the same day as a Vancouver sunrise. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and nobody was distracted yeah. by it. I actually. think we were so lucky. Like it's one of like I've done some organizing at UBC, but this is one of the biggest events I think any of us on the team have ever organized. We were like so many things could go wrong, but it didn't. And I think yeah, the sun was out and like there was a bit of delay because of traffic and stuff because of the sun run, but like yeah, I think people really wanted to be there, so I think it really worked out in that sense like yeah, there was so much support that people made their made their way there. Yeah. And I think that that's important to talk even about the political climate here yeah. in Vancouver yeah. and also in all of Canada. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back a little bit in mm -hmm. terms of, I guess, this land that yeah. we call Canada mm -hmm. um, and the history of slavery. Yeah. And we were talking before, before we started, about how many Canadians, and I think this is just part of the larger history here in Canada, remain quite ignorant yeah. about the history of slavery. That's definitely true. Very true, mm -hmm. yeah. And so I was just hoping that if you're able to give an overview in terms of where does that ignorance stem from? Like mm -hmm. when we think of slavery in Canada, why is it that most Canadians will automatically think of the American yeah. South, mm -hmm. but not even think that there was a very long history of slavery? Yeah. I think Canada has done an excellent job of erasing that history yeah. from the history books and from from things that we learn about Canada. Canada has such a sort of global reputation of being such a peaceful country and that's led to, you know, pushing a lot of things under the rug, particularly in relation to colonialism and like um the um like things like sterilization, segregation, slavery, particularly of indigenous people and black communities as well. And so um, particularly, I think like a lot of what I've studied at university, I was doing European studies. And so we studied a lot about like um, World War II and how that was a really big time for nation building. And Canada was really building itself as like the peaceful nation, always, you know, giving foreign aid. And then that was, you know, Canada is so peaceful and great now. Mm -hmm. And so I think people really buy into that image of Canada and it's so easy to then completely erase those histories. Yeah. And I think you can definitely say that slavery happened on a smaller scale here, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen here at all. And, and I think because of the, 
you know, the end of the Underground Railroad being in Canada and a lot of freed slaves coming to Canada after um, the quote unquote end of slavery. Yeah, you can say you can see how people might feel like Canada was a safe haven for a lot of people after that time. But really, there was also a lot of terrible things happening here, like thinking specifically about the history of um, BC and the Lower Mainland. A lot of freed slaves who came from California came here and then also experienced pretty much the same racism and negative attitudes and discrimination towards them that they were facing back in the US. So it wasn't much of a escape or a freedom to come here. And that's why historically there were there was a very big black population in Vancouver, but that population was pretty much wiped out, especially after the building of the Georgia Viaduct. Like if you think about like Hogan's Alley, Strathcona, that area was a predominantly black area. Thousands of black people lived there. But then, yeah, that whole area was completely decimated by gentrification and the Georgia Viaduct and the building of those highways. And so black communities sort of like were pushed out back to the US, to the suburbs. yeah, there's a lot of interesting history that's just sort of never talked about. Yeah, yeah, particularly here in Vancouver. Yeah, and I'm really hoping you can get into this, and mm-hmm. you've started to already. Is that, and I and you've heard this mm-hmm. is that whenever I have friends from the East Coast coming here or anybody visiting Vancouver, yeah, they will notice the very large and very high uh, population of Asian Canadians. Mm-hmm. But the one question they always ask is, where are all the black people? Yeah. And I remember when I was younger, I would always say, well, you have to wait until the Caribbean Festival. And that's when they <laughs> yeah. gather. Uh-huh. When I was a teenager, I think I started thinking about that question. It's like, where, where are they? Yeah. Are you able to tell us a story in terms of how the population, especially in East Vancouver, mm-hmm. where there was such a large presence, mm-hmm. and then now it's like virtually you're almost scrambling to find. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think like, yeah, as I mentioned, a lot of the communities sort of being wiped out when black communities first started coming to Vancouver. Um, there was a lot of hostility. It was difficult for them to like buy land. And like, I think that's one of the huge things that enabled people to stay in a community is the ability to, to buy the land, which ironically is not Canadians land to sell, um, belongs to the indigenous people. But like th- that, that was a, a huge like kind of issue of discrimination. So there was no ability to like settle and make roots here. Yeah. And I think, That was also evident, for example, Salt Spring Island was completely a black community. Really? Yeah. So um, lots of freed slaves came and like set up communities there. I was actually looking at some photos online. They're so interesting. And it showed like um, a classroom of students on Salt Spring Island. And one man was the the first black teacher on the island and like his kids in his class, like black students, white students, indigenous students, Asian Canadians. It was a really amazing photo to think it was taken in the 1920s and to see such a diverse classroom of students like back then. It was so, it's so fascinating. But yeah, that history has been completely erased as well. And now you sort of just think of Salt Spring as sort of like a, a white hippie island, in my opinion. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so, it's so interesting how those, yeah, those like histories of like, white communities having a lot more privilege and therefore being able to settle and make roots because there was less discrimination against them for purchasing land. And yeah, so thinking about present day and like black communities in Vancouver, I think we talked about it a lot at our event. We had a speaker, um, Angela Marie McDougall. She's the um, director of the Battered Women Support Service. And she was saying there is no 
universal experience of being black, especially in a place like Vancouver. We have like, even among like our organizing collective, for example, like people from people who are born and raised in Vancouver, people who are born and raised in African countries or Caribbean countries, people like me, who I also was raised in the diaspora in England, but not in Canada. So like such a diverse range of like knowing what it means to be black. And I think it's really hard to unify, unify communities that are so like different. And so I think other diasporic communities have a much easier time kind of connecting and collaborating because, you know, they, they miss home or they have an ideal of their home country, whereas we're all from such diverse places. And I think that is also thanks to like different migration patterns and like histories of slavery and colonialism that like not everybody knows where their roots are and not everybody knows where they come from. And so, yeah, uniting a black community is really really hard okay i want to get more into that mm -hmm. um in just a moment um because i think that's really important in terms of going on now especially what's in this what's going on in the united states yeah. which obviously affects us here in canada but what i have noticed in the last probably two years is that at least in vancouver that the, there is a larger presence now mm -hmm. of black canadians there's more mm -hmm. and a friend of mine we were talking about it a few months ago and i said that i said that you know before maybe three four or five years ago i'd see maybe one black person in a month yeah <laughs> i go but in the last few months it's like i've been seeing like more in one week Definitely. like several in a yeah, week yeah and so we were trying to um we were we were really trying to explore this idea in terms of what's going on and we were thinking, is it the United States? Are there is, are there more people leaving the United States because of what's going on mm -hmm. um, since, you know, what happened in Ferguson and Baltimore? I mean, is it wrong to say that maybe there's more of an influx from the United States coming into Canada? Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. Is, that, is, that an, is, is that a naive... I don't know. Analysis? I think that could totally be possible. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of, like, articles online about... African Americans really expressing concern about the experience of being black in the United States like it is you could say dangerous like to to live and exist as a black person in the United States and I think yeah as I mentioned before the kind of peaceful image of Canada kind of perhaps allows people to think that it might be safer to live here as a black person but I also think a lot of the black folks that I do know in Vancouver a lot of them are international students um, from different African countries and the Caribbean as well um, like definitely a lot more um, black students at UBC since I started there in 2012. Definitely, I've as as you mentioned, like I've seen a lot more people around, and always like, oh my gosh, new black person, so exciting. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think um, the development of like there's a new scholarship that specifically brings students from sub-Saharan Africa, and that's brought a lot of um, people from yeah sub-Saharan African countries. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, as I said, it also leads to a kind of like, how do we find that unity with all the different black communities? Like, I think there's pre there's pretty there's a pretty exciting black community over at UBC and SFU as well. But that I think it's also a very cultural community, particularly relating to um, African cultures and like gathering around um, celebrating those cultures. But of course. If you were born and raised here and if your parents were also born and raised here you might not have that connection to um say your african heritage for example so yeah that can be a little bit alienating for some folks yeah okay so why did 
yourself mm-hmm. and uh, this powerful group <laughs> of women, I mean, yes. that's what we see, decided to organize Black Lives Matters here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. What was the motivation? What was the inspiration? Well, as I was telling you, there were, we have a friend, her name's Seth. She lives out in Toronto, but originally she was born and raised here in Vancouver. And um, she was part of the um, the tent city that they had where they camped outside the police headquarters for 15 days. And she was telling us all about it. And she was saying, do you think it's possible that there could be a solidarity event here in Vancouver to kind of like send support and... Um, yeah, sort of like words of encouragement over to Toronto and let folks on the West Coast know what's happening over there. So we were like, whoa, I don't know. Like, (laughs) we don't know really what we can do. And it was a very short space of time. We didn't know how long they would be camping out there. And we were all like, um, most of us are full-time students. So we were like, we're not sure if we can organize something so quickly. So then we kind of just decided, let's make a Facebook page and see how much sort of attention it gets if people are interested or like behind this kind of movement in Vancouver. So yeah, we made the Facebook page and then we were like, wow, people are actually interested. And um, we started getting a lot of donations. We raised over $1,500 in a week. So then we were like, oh, now we have money. We should do something with it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, then we were like, okay, let's bring everyone together. Let's have an event. And so yeah, that's when we had our first event at the art gallery. Okay, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That that's really really exciting because mm-hmm. it is this kind of movement is much needed. Yep. But because you're also organizing in a city where, as we talked before, the presence of blacks in Canada, especially in Vancouver, mm-hmm. it's quite low, but it is rising. Mm-hmm. Like there's more and more of that presence, like growing. Um, did you anticipate that there was ever going to be a backlash, or is there a backlash? Hmm. There hasn't been much of a backlash. We've been very fortunate that we've had a lot of support. I mean, obviously, we had, like, a couple of comments on the page of people being like, all lives matter, and then we, like, figured out ways of, like, how we can address that. And, like, I I do understand why people are saying that, like, because it does seem very far removed to have an event like that in Vancouver. Some people are like, but there's no black people. Why do we need a Black Lives Matter? So I, I do, like, we did have a lot of conversations about, like, how can we address that? And we have... A great support group of allies who are not black um, some white folks and some Asian Canadians as well who are like really there for us and that willing to do that kind of work because like we're so busy organizing the event that sometimes we don't have time to like reply to every comment and be like actually this well so yeah it's really great to have those people who are willing to respond to that and just address those issues but yeah really hasn't been much negativity around it I think But I think that is the culture of Vancouver in general. Like, there's not much... Like, most people are pretty positive and supportive about initiatives. And there are a good number of, like, activist communities that you can sort of reach out to when you're having events like this. So, like, we had a lot of support from, like, No One Is Illegal, some of the indigenous communities. Yeah, so, like, collaborating among activist groups, that was really amazing. And I think that really strengthened us and having the sort of experience and expertise of people have been organizing in this city for a really long time. That was so helpful. I think the biggest problem, we didn't notice it so much with this event, but I've noticed like when I was organizing events more over at UBC was like kind of the apathy of a lot of people. Like they might support online, but they might not necessarily show up in person to an event. And I think that's the only concern we have moving forward. Like there was a lot of momentum and excitement because it's the first event, but will that continue? We don't know. Will people continue to show out for us? We're a little bit anxious about it. So, but I think in general, like, 
yeah, very little backlash. But I mean, yeah, we were definitely worried. We were definitely worried about um, the police. <laughs> we were worried, like, I mean, particularly like as black folks, we're kind of socialized to kind of be a bit nervous about authority and about the police, particularly in relation to like the reason why Black Lives Matter started, mm. you know, some of the police brutality in the US and even in Canada as well. So we were a bit scared about that. Like, will we be shut down? We don't know. And it was such a public venue to have it right outside the art gallery. Like during the sun run, during the sun run. Yeah. Like in the middle of the day, in the middle of Robson, like you don't know who's going to walk by or how they're going to react. Mm. But we were super thankful. We did actually have some police officers who were so kind and supportive and said, like, we will be, we're here for you and like any incidents of, you know, aggression or whatever they dealt with. So that was really nice to have that support. Yeah. Can you describe in terms of the experience that Toronto has and Vancouver has? Because there was a tent city in Toronto mm-hmm. I mean, that ran for two weeks mm-hmm. every day in the cold and the gatherings were huge, mm-hmm. you know, it seems very, very different. Yeah. How are you able to, are you able to bridge those differences? Mm-hmm. But yeah, how do you see the connections with Toronto and Vancouver? And I'm using Toronto as the yeah, example yeah, sure. because there's a chapter there in Toronto and then there's also a very large um, black presence in that city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a completely different culture, I feel. Um, and I think, yeah, we just had another meeting this weekend and we talked more about the goals and visions that we want for our chapter in Vancouver because it will definitely look different from other cities. So, yeah, we were sort of thinking about, like, how do we really, like, honour and respect the black community that we have in Vancouver because the needs are very different. Like, I don't think, thankfully, we're not necessarily directly tackling um, police brutality, for example, because there hasn't been that much instances that particularly specifically affect black communities. Whereas in Toronto, in Ferguson, in other cities, there's definitely been that. And we definitely want to honor the origins of the Black Lives Matter movement and stand in solidarity with other cities who do experience that. But we also want to kind of be a support system and a network for black folks here. And we don't want to we don't want to alienate them by only focusing on things that they feel like might not be happening in this city. So yeah, that's always in the back of our minds, but we're trying to move more towards like, what do people in Vancouver need and in the lower mainland and yeah, how can we support black communities here? So yeah, we started to think about that this weekend and some of our, some of our ideas were around like supporting African refugees. A lot of, um, a lot of um, African refugees are um, trying to seek refuge in BC, but um, there's actually been a, a block by the government put on refugees from any country other than Syria. So that's been a very challenging thing for a lot of folks who are working on that and thinking about how we can, what we can do about that, how we can raise awareness of that. Maybe um, further down the line, we can start to kind of like rally and you know get together about that. Um, yeah, and also like trying to celebrate blackness, trying to celebrate the history of blackness and bring it back to the forefront of the, you know, of the imagination of Canada because it's been, yeah, it's been pretty much erased. Um, also celebrating a lot of the elders in our communities as well. And um, so we're thinking of actually having kind of like a town hall or family meeting, like maybe later in summer where we're going to bring people together and... Yeah, ask them what they need and like what what can we do how can we be of support because we're i think because of the work that we've 
done the past few weeks, we were in a very fortunate position where we have a lot of good connections now. We've raised quite a bit of money. We have a good support system. So I'm hoping that we can sort of be there for the black community in whatever way they need. And hopefully we will learn what that is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. In terms of what's going on in the United States, the political climate there, there's this sentiment that many Americans desire to move to Canada. Some are very serious. Some are, <laughs> some are joking. You know, what advice would you like to say or give, especially to African-Americans mm-hmm. who, who think that maybe Canada is a safe haven? What would you say mm-hmm. to, to that? Well, I know that a lot of people sort of make a huge distinction between the experience that Canadians have and the experience that Americans have. But I think, I, I think like comparing them is challenging. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say one is necessarily better than the other, but I do think in the US it does seem more dangerous and more terrifying to be an African-American because of the police brutality that a lot of folks experience. But I think for me, like coming from Europe, I just like see the whole of North America as kind of like one big thing. And like, I didn't really realize until I came here that people view the two countries so differently that people think, you know, America is kind of like wild and dangerous and like Canada's so peaceful. I thought it was all just, you know, one big like continent of the same stuff. So, and I think that's also an, another way that I still, I still see it like, like even though I've become more knowledgeable and educated about it, I still kind of look at it that way because there's very few differences you know if we look at like how the government is structured and the lack of representation of like black people and like asian canadian folks and queer folks and women like that lack of representation is mirrored in both canada and the us and i think that has a huge impact on how the countries are run and how much support is given to marginalized communities and i think that's the same across the board and i think i've also i also see that in the united kingdom as well and i think it's not really about the nation it's more about the system as a whole and how like canada and the us and the uk and australia and like most anglo settler countries are sort of founded upon white supremacy and colonization of indigenous land and i think that those although that seems very historical to a lot of people like oh that was thousands of years ago that you know these countries were colonized like that's still very present and like especially in country like canada in the us where like white communities came from europe and settled on top of the land where indigenous communities have lived for millennia like those systems are still very much embedded and I think that's pretty much yeah the same in Canada and the US and so I think although I have a very safe I've had a very safe and pleasant experience living in Vancouver but I do think a lot of the the same narratives and ideals exist in Canada and the US it's just they manifest slightly differently okay what I found really interesting earlier in our conversation and I think that this is I think it reflects the history of Canada mm-hmm. that that's also different than the United States is that in terms of how Black Lives Matters here in Vancouver organizes is that you are expressing that many of the members are coming in from the very recent diaspora mm-hmm. whereas in the United States they're really looking deep deep mm-hmm. into their into their past yep. like you're talking about hundreds of years you're talking about generations of Americans whose families really yeah. came from the slave ships. So 
that's a very interesting um, dynamic that's going on yeah. here. And you're saying that you're still trying to find a way to unite mm-hmm. here in Vancouver. Can you talk a little bit more of that unity? Because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. It has challenges, but it also has really great advantages mm-hmm. and, and it offers a real richness to your organizing. Yeah. Are, are you able to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, the, yeah, this came up a lot at our recent meeting and we were talking about how can we unite a group of people where pretty much the only common thing is the color of our skin. and of course that's that doesn't negate it at all that's a very important aspect to to sort of organize around but it's so challenging because yeah as you mentioned a lot of folks have very recently come to Canada I only came here four years ago most of the group are like first or second generation Canadians or even just came here for university like me so yeah that's a very very different experience from sort of like because I think a lot of us, I mean, I myself, for example, I, I'm still sort of in like immigrant mindset. Like I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself a Canadian. And so I feel like I'm sort of, I mean, I'm definitely a visitor here in terms of settling on indigenous land, but I'm also a visitor in terms of like, I don't feel much of a belonging to, to Canadian identity. And so, whereas in the US, thinking more about like community, black communities that have that were brought over through slavery and so they're like four five six generations old and possibly most of them don't know their african roots and so that's a yeah as you said a completely different experience of of blackness and like yeah how you identify with with the nation state because like a lot of folks if your you know great grandparents came here and you you might and you don't know where they came from then Canada is pretty much all you have like as your identity whereas a lot of us are kind of like oh I know I know I'm from here like this is my community this is my culture these are my people and so on so yeah I think uniting around that is really hard because we're we're all sort of like coming at it from different angles and yeah as we discussed there's also kind of a weird tension between like folks who uh, more recently came like as immigrants like in the past like 10 years or whatever or like first generation immigrants from African countries and like those who who have like deeper roots here there's kind of a disconnect or like you know for like for example um, I myself have, have experienced this like in um, being in like the African and Caribbean um, cultural clubs at UBC and experiencing like oh, you don't really understand what it's like to be African because you're just part of the diaspora. Like, so you're you're not really African or like you, you don't really get that experience. So there's also that tension. And so, yeah, uniting people across that is like an added challenge. And so we were thinking about like, um, yeah, our friend gave a really good quote and she was like, we should think about black unity, not black uniformity. And so how can we unite against our common struggles but but make sure we're not homogenous yeah. like make sure people still know that we're individuals and diverse and like celebrate that and like yeah because i think people have a lot of stereotypes about black folks especially in vancouver where like you probably don't ha- most people probably don't have a black friend and so yeah so like all you know about black people is music videos yeah. tv and so dispelling those stereotypes is going to be a huge thing for us celebrating blackness i really appreciate you at uh, you sharing this because i think it's 
important to see what a community that's quite young, mm-hmm. but then also quite rooted in some way. Yeah. Because despite the fact that you know many of your members are coming in from the from the diaspora, mm-hmm. there is still you're still related to that history yeah. of of black Canadians here from like hundreds of yeah. years ago. So it's really exciting actually yeah. to see. What's your relationship like then with Black Lives Matters in the United States? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we when we started up, we were like. We kind of forgot what, what we, we didn't really know what we were supposed to do. So, um, yeah, we one of our friends, Seth, who's living in Toronto, she's been a great support in like trying to connect us with different um, Black Lives Matter like organizing folks. And so we've had brief conversations with some of the, the main organizers, the original organizers of the overall movement. And so we're going to try to. Yeah, sort of as we were saying, like talking about our goals, how can we honor the original movement while still making our chapter Vancouver specific? Mm. But yeah, we've drawn so much inspiration from other chapters. We follow all of their social media, like, and yeah, we've been talking a lot about social media as a form of resistance. And like, I think Black Lives Matter is like the most powerful example of that. Like, how, yeah, everything, pretty much everything has been through the internet, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and like, yeah, those have been so influential in the ways that we've kept up with the other Black Lives Matter chapters. And so, yeah, we're really hoping that more will start in Canada. We've heard rumors there might be one in Montreal soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, super exciting to like kind of watch this unfold. Okay. Yeah. So across the board, in terms of Black Lives Matter's leadership. Yeah. It's predominantly women. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very evident in the United States. Yeah. It's evident in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And when the chapter here in Vancouver, like, burst forward yeah. at the art gallery, I mean, it was all women. Yeah. And there's that wonderful photo of, of the collective. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, it's just, <laughs> it's women. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a strong leadership of women mm-hmm. um, in this movement? I think I studied a lot of, like, the organizing of black women throughout history like my research was mainly like in England but it was always women it was always women who were doing the most work but I don't think until this point we saw them and I think like thinking about for example I wrote a lot about the suffragette movement in the UK and like women getting the vote and it was always like if you watch the movie in which everybody is white, it was very unrepresentative of what really happened. And it made it seem like no progress could be made without the help of white people and white men, when really it was black women who were always behind the scenes, always, you know, like doing activism in ways that wasn't recognized as activism. Yeah, that's just like histories of women being like shut, away like in the home in in the yeah in the domestic sphere and even even there they were still doing activism but it just wasn't recognized as it should have been i think we all just feel such as like an urgent sense of of justice and yeah we all like really unite over that feeling of like we want to do it now and we want to organize now and we have expanded our collective to a few more organizing folks. So we have we have some men in our group. We have some trans folks, like different um, identities. So that's really exciting to have that diversity. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, like a lot of the movements have been 
have been run by black women and that is so exciting and amazing to watch yeah i i i agree with you on that i think it's very exciting so what's going uh, what's coming up then for black lives matters here in vancouver well we have our next event on may 7th we are crazy i don't know why we decided (laughs) to do two events so close together but we just want to keep the momentum going and like yeah get people hyped up it's gonna be um kind of like just more casual like a barbecue um we're just gonna find an outdoor space and like hopefully it's sunny and like yeah everyone can come together play some music have some food and hopefully that's where we will really sort of cement ourselves as like a community and like so yeah i think it's important for us to have events that are just fun like just for celebration just for validating our experiences visibilizing our communities and just coming together and getting to know each other. Thank you, Cicely. Thanks for having me. Del Carnaval, 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 Del Carnaval.
welcome back to Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. I'm your host, Charlene Sayo, and you just heard the surf-inspired track Del Carnaval by the French band The Juanitos. Last summer, I interviewed Mireya Ramos and Che Fial of Mariachi Flor de Toloache, New York's very first Latin Grammy-nominated mariachi band. At the time, they were getting ready for a European tour in support of the Arx's record Yours Dreamily, an album in which they played on almost every track. In April, Mariachi Flor de Toloache made their Canadian concert debut in Vancouver, BC, where they opened and supported the Arx's West Coast tour. I caught up with the band just minutes before their sound check, where they gave me the lowdown of what they've been doing since last summer. Here's our conversation. Hey, Mariachi Flor de Toloache, thank you so much for that sidewalk performance. Also, thank you again for being on Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. Now, I interviewed Shay and Maria, but I have a couple more of you guys here. So, what's your name? I'm Julia Costa. And? Eunice Aparicio. And? Shay Fiol. <laughs> Mireya Ramos. You guys are kicking off your West Coast tour with the ARCs tonight here in Vancouver. How do you guys feel? Awesome. We're excited. Yeah. It's our first show tonight. So we're really excited. Can't wait. When I spoke to you guys the first time and the last time was in New York, in Brooklyn, in the library. And you were talking exactly about this tour and working with the ARCs um, on their album. So now you guys have done a couple of tours. This is the third one, I believe. How's it going? How has touring life been? Touring life was fun. Uh, it was our first like major tour as a group. Um, some of us had, have toured extensively, some of us a little here and there. I believe for most of us, it was our first time or second time on a tour bus, which has been fun. This will be Eunice's first time on a tour bus. Um, and we just went and picked out our bunks today, <laughs> our kids. <laughs> it's been really fun. Um, I feel like we took our playing to the next level after our last couple tours, because um, we played, you know, almost every night to every other single, every other night, and um, it was like when we got back and started performing in New York, it felt like a lift, you know, like like we had elevated our level of play and, and level of performance. So it was, it's been really fun. And you guys were also nominated for a Latin Grammy. So it's been a real whirlwind since the summer. How has that also been, like in terms of elevating your your profile, not only the music industry, but all over? In fact, my friends, when they found out you guys are playing here, they're like, what? <laughs> they're here in Vancouver? So how do you guys also feel with also the industry recognizing Mariachi Flor de Toloache? Feels like a huge accomplishment um, after all the work that most of us have have put into this band and um, just as musicians as well individually just to be a part of something that's taking off and seeing it happen is uh, it's, it feels really rewarding and it feels awesome so <laughs> and we also feel really um, blessed to be able to empower other women by our music and through through what we're doing and um, opening doors for other women to do either mariachi music or stuff similar to, to this genre, which is very, it's very hard to get into. So um, it feels amazing. <laughs> yeah. Right, now we also spoke and coming off from what you were just talking about, Maria, you were telling us about your experiences and why you formed Mariachi Flor de Toloache, but now you're also touring with the ARCs and they're all guys. How is that different touring with the ARCs and then playing with other mariachi bands and your past experiences? Um, it's a completely different experience. Uh, it's a, well, one, it's different culture. <laughs> so there's 
different things that come with that and also it's a different dynamic also just working with all women and working with men and the combination of men and women and so all those things come in play when you're when you're performing and traveling together but it's it's a cool experience you learn a lot about each other and um, musically and also as a human being and, <laughs> and it's pretty cool it's a pretty cool experience it's one of a kind, I would say, yeah. to tour and, and have this kind of experience. Cool. Yeah. Anybody else? Julie's, Julie's toured a lot. <laughs> um, well, what am I doing? Comparing between yeah. these guys and the other? Yeah. I mean, like Mireya said, it's, it, it is a different culture. I mean, I, I tour mostly with um, Latin, in the Latin field, you know, and um, well, these guys are cool. They're just like, they're kind of hippie-ish. <laughs> they respect us. Yeah, they respect us as musicians. They ask us questions. You're not just kind of like a piece of meat sometimes, you know, yeah. you feel. <laughs> it, it feels different in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been good here. It's been good here. In my other experiences, it hasn't been like I'm a piece of meat either. But you can see little tinges of that every now and again, depending on the person you're dealing with or the guys in the band, you know, how what their personality is like and stuff. But... Yeah, th those are the slight differences. <laughs> right. Eunice, I want to ask you, I'm going to switch over here right now, because you have joined the band on this tour. How's it going? It's going great so far. I was looking forward to it since the day one yeah. that I, I found out about this tour. And being here, it's just, it's been such an experience already, you know, learning uh, different music, learning about um, what to like to deal with all men group <laughs> especially because I've been performing with all female groups for the past six seven years so I kind of completely forgot what it was like to play with other men <laughs> so it's been great awesome now, just a couple more questions. When we were speaking in the summer, you were talking about working on this album with the ARCs. And uh, how did you guys feel when you found out that you weren't just going to play on one song, but on several? So it really evolved and changed. So how, how did that change you guys as a band and also your presence in this album? Mm, change as a band? Yeah. Well, I think it kind of um, brought the band Potentially closer together because we we um, ended up working a lot with the same people, the same musicians for the record, and so I think it kind of created a core for us. And then also going on the road as a smaller ensemble, um, it, not necessarily the album work, but the tour work as a four-piece was a nice stretch for us because we were used to performing as like a six or seven-piece, and then we shrunk down to four, and we're on a big stage with a big full auditorium of theater and so it's been that was a nice a nice challenge um, I really enjoyed that yeah it made us tighter as a as a unit I'd like to add to that we what was interesting for me and on this tour for us is that we kind of created a sound although we already have our own sound but we branded like the Arquettes <laughs> and, and so we harmonize and you know it's three part harmony and so lots of people would call us to record our voices, you know, to add to their album in the same kind of way, which I thought was 
pretty cool. That's definitely something we kind of built even stronger on this tour. So are we going to see more of you guys on different albums then in the future? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yes, yeah, for sure. On deck. Oh my god, I'm really excited as a fan. So to close up, what is um, coming up for Mariachi Flor di Toloache after this tour? We have a new album coming up next year, uh, hopefully by the end of this year, but um, we'll be promoting it until next year and uh, hopefully another land Grammy or Grammy <laughs> and a uh, lot more festivals. We're going to be performing a lot of um, different states on our own um, this summer and in New York as well. So we're really excited about that. And hopefully a full on Canadian tour. That's right. <laughs> you're in a jazz club in Paris, it means we're at the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening to my conversations with Cicely Bell Blaine of Black Lives Matter Vancouver and with New York's very own Mariachi Flor de Tolawache. For more information about Black Lives Matter, check out blacklivesmatter.com. If you want to hear more about Mariachi Flor de Tolawache, 
click their site at mariachinyc.com. All of this information is available at misrepresentpodcast.com, where you can also hear past episodes featuring extraordinarily fierce women. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Just Call Me Char for future shows and guests. Intro and outro music by Emily Simone. Additional music by Ben Sound Music, Steve Combs, Mariachi Flor de Tolawache, Lache Swing, and The Juanitos. Fiercest thank yous to my guests, Cicely Bell Blaine, Black Lives Matter Vancouver, and Mariachi Flor de Tolawache. Shoutouts to Elise Cloma, Jessica Liao, Karina Tapniao, Mitch Lee, Jordan Leesk, and Stephanie Rangel. And of course, thank you, fierce listeners and supporters. Tune in next week for another fierce episode featuring another fierce woman. I'm your host, Charlene Sayo. This is Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman.